Tate Robinson on. He's and there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Juliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan Hello and welcome to another episode of the Downhill Second Half Podcast. Joining me, Ian DL, is a man who loves a spreadsheet almost as much as Guy Lopez used to love a tackle. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. How's it going? And alongside him, an individual shrouded in more mystery than the shady, brief Barnet career of Wesley Garcia. It's Craig Clayton. <laughs> Good evening, Ian. <laughs> And joining us for today's episode, we have a truly incredible guest, <laughs> a champion in 2005 who is famously a lot better at shot stops than train stops. He's packed a punch with a different sort of glove in more recent times, but he's with us today to talk about his time between the sticks at Underhill. Welcome to the podcast, Scott Tynan. Hello, everyone. All right, cheers, Scott. Thank you for joining us today. Um, just before we kind of kick things off, we did a bit of research beforehand about uh, in the programmes during your early Barnet career, every week we had an update about your use of the train line between right. Liverpool and London. Um, do you remember what that was all about? Yeah, so um, at the time I was, well, obviously I hadn't committed to Barnet and, and vice versa. And I was also playing at Shrewsbury um, midweek in the reserves. And... Just, just trying to figure out where to go and what was on offer and whatnot. So I was travelling down on the day of the game for the Barnard game. So that meant Saturday morning, early start, Liverpool Lime Street, straight down. And um, I was meant to jump off at Wofford. That was where I was arranging someone to pick me up. And then for some reason, one Saturday, the train I was on decided not to stop at Wofford. <laughs> Went straight through. Ended up in London, Houston. I had to get a cab back. And I think I got there about 10 minutes before kickoff. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was looking it up because it was uh, it just after you'd signed, there was a thing in the programme that you had to have a, a lift back to the station. You had to run to Watford Junction to make yeah, the train home. It's still, that, happened, that, that tends to be every week. That, but, but like I said, it was getting down there, which every other week it was fine, just that one week. Yeah. yeah well, I, so I was, I was flicking through some of the old programmes earlier and it said that... Uh, Eventually, they kind of got, got to the bottom of it. The train driver admitted he forgot to stop or he didn't have the right schedule or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, at least you it could turn that back to fair claim. I knew it wasn't my fault because there was other people on the train. We all like, looking at each other going, what's happened? I was meant to get off there. Like, so I wasn't on my own. So I thought, like, it's not my mess up. That's fine. But, uh, Obviously, we're talking about the train journey back and forth from Liverpool. And I think I've picked up a little bit of an accent that suggests you're not a, a local Barnet guy. But... Um, before you did join the club, uh, what was your awareness of it? And did you have any sort of relationship with it um, before that, that sort of first signing? Um, no. Uh, like you said, the, the the interest came about. Paul Fairclough contacted me personally. Um, he'd apparently heard of, of me and what I'd done. I was at Notts Forest before, and, um, but I'd played mainly under-19s and reserve games. So I hadn't, I hadn't had any first-team football. I went out on loan to Telford, got a little bit of first-team football there, um, done well. And it, I was kind of at a stage where I had, I had the choice to go back to Forest that pre-season, um, but not on the promise of a contract, but because 
Joe Kinnear had took over not long before the end of the season and he said, look, I don't know enough of you to give you a new deal, but if you want to come back, by all means, come back and I'll have a look. And I thought that that's gotten sorted with Bristol City, so I, I turned that down and I've spent my, the pre-season at Bristol City, played five games and I hadn't conceded a goal. And then when they offered me the contract, it was like, it was, it was something that I just couldn't sign. I was like, I, I can't. And so I was in the, the unwanted position of like the season was about to start. I didn't have a club and I'm thinking, what am I going to do with myself? Um, the call came from, like I say, from Paul direct, um, asked me to go down. I went down. Um, at the same time, I got contacted by Shrewsbury. Um, and I, I got a good feel for the place straight away. Um, the lads, great, great bunch of lads. And yeah, when it when it became decision time, I don't think, don't think I'd even played at this point. I'm not too sure. I remember making my debut away at Exeter, but um, it was just a general feel of the place. Like, like it, obviously they were, they it started the season fairly well. Um, it looked like it was going to be a positive season. Something that. I thought I, I wouldn't mind being a part of that. Um, turned out to be a good decision in more than one ways because when I was playing reserves at Shrewsbury, the the 16 year old goalkeeper on the bench for the reserves when I was playing <laughs> was Joe Hart. So um, <laughs> I'd have probably been a bit snookered if I'd have ended up going there within six <laughs> months. But but yeah, um, like I said, so so that was how it came about. It was completely out of the blue. Obviously, I don't know whether with Paul being from up this way as well whether that had any fair or not I don't know where he'd heard of me I don't know where he'd seen my play me play or footage or what have you but but yeah it was um, it didn't happen quickly though because I was travelling back and forth quite a bit um, before I finally signed so so yeah took some time So you sort of joined in sort of September October of that season and obviously made your debut there um, what was it sort of like coming into the squad because Obviously, the team had made such a good start to the season um, and you came in and, you, like you say, you played against Exeter in your first league game. What was your relationship like with the other goalkeepers in the squad straight away, having come in sort of not during pre-season? I got along really well with Ricky Millard straight away. Like, we, we got along great. Um, with regard to Shane, I, like we didn't, although we were in the same team, we didn't really see a lot of each other to begin with. Um Especially before I signed, because, like I say, I, I wasn't there a lot. I was I'd turn up maybe the day before the day of a game, and that, and that would be it. Um, obviously, with Shane being injured, it wasn't a case of I'd came in to directly replace anyone. A, a goalkeeper got injured, and every team needs two goalkeepers. So, um, but yeah, so like I said, uh, with, with with Shane, we didn't really see much of each other. Obviously, I saw Ricky on match days and a little bit of training. Um, but I, I sat on the I can't remember now how many games I sat on the bench for before I actually played. Um, but there was a few. So it wasn't like I just came in, turned up and started playing. I, I had to wait a little bit and, and, like I say, hopefully take my chance when it came. Yeah, well, I was going to bring it back to that. So, uh, obviously, you made your league debut against Exeter, but you, you played your first Barnet game against Stevenage in the yeah. uh, LD Vans Trophy. I remember the game well. It was a Tuesday night. 
Yeah. Um, I'd have been in year 11 at school. I remember um, <laughs> even it was a bit of a derby game for Barnet. Yeah. So, uh, I remember after school, quickly getting changed and uh, waiting outside the off-licence to get some blokes to buy me two cans of Carling. <laughs> uh, just, just so I could feel charged up and a bit of a, in my own head, a bit of a geezer going into the game. Um, and it was quite a good match. So I recall 1-3-1. Bailey scored two. Roach got a late one at the end as well. Um, and then, yeah, you went on the bench for the Saturday game against Woking. Yeah. And then came in for extra. And I was, I was looking earlier at your kind of Barnet statistics. Your first league, so you played against Stevenage in a 3 1. Yeah. Exeter 3 0. Dagenham 5 0. Carlisle away, which is pivotal in the final 3 1. And then York 5 0. Those are your first five Barnet games. Like you must have thought, right. like, <laughs> being a number one. Like. Started all right. Um, like I said, I think even the extra game, I, um, I didn't know I was playing that one. I found out pretty late. And this, although the score doesn't suggest it, from a personal point of view, it was a um, it was a tough game because they had um, was it Steve Flack up front, yeah. and he, he just every chance he got he wellied me. I remember one I really came out and caught a cross, and was as I was coming down, he's underneath me, and he just threw an elbow up, he split me lip and and bust me nose. He was just a a rough guy, like and. But I thought, you know what, this is what it's all about. I hadn't had any of that before because you play youth team and reserve team football and a lot of it's all nicey-nicey. And like I said, I thought, right, so this is this is where I'm at now. This is this is what it's about. And um, so I played that game. And then wasn't one of them games you mentioned was on, was it live on telly as well? Yeah, Dagenham was early kickoff, the 5 million yeah. Dagenham. Yeah. yeah, so... I probably didn't have much to do in that one. But then, like I said, the big one out of that one was the Carlisle away. And I think at the time it was a, a record crowd for the conference. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was that, that was that was a great experience for me, being fairly young at the time and stuff. Um, but yeah, obviously it all started with the Stevens game. But I think that game as well, it was quite a changed team. At the time, Nicky Bailey hadn't broken to the side and he played. Like I say, Lee Roach was the other goal scorer. So, so yeah, it was... Obviously not the priority at the time, but it was nice to start with a win. That 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 um, Carlisle game sort of was quite a pivotal moment in the season. Obviously, they were the top side along us at the time, and we we went there and won three one. What was it like for you, sort of like being thrown into that pressure cooker of going from the youth team football, like you sort of described, where it's all nicey nicey, to playing in front of nine thousand screaming Cumbrians? It's just like a pocket of Barnet fans behind the goal. Well, it was, um, I'd actually, uh, luckily, I'd actually played at that ground quite a, well, probably three or four times in youth football. So I knew about, and what I always remember about that ground is the goal miles had a camber. So I, like, basically it comes in and as it gets to the post, it raises to help drainage and stuff. And I'll, I'll never forget, I, obviously I was aware of it anyway, so I knew about it going out into the warm-up and stuff like that. But I'll never forget there was a, a ball in at one point. And you're literally going towards your back post and you think, I've got it, I've got it. And your next step, you lose about a foot and you think, I've got it. So <laughs> um, that's what I remember about playing at Carlisle every time. Like that camber, I hated it. But um, I think when, once, once we won there, I don't think, I think our lead never got any shorter than that. Yeah, and no, that, that was a really special day because we went, we went up there three points ahead of them. And so yeah. if, if we lost, we'd be level on points. I think we had a better goal difference, but yeah, we won. We went six points clear. Um, I think we had in, like, Gratz didn't play. We had Lee Roach, I think, uh, up front with Hatch, quite possibly, or maybe it was Strevens and, and Hatch. But um, I, I remember, yeah, there was 200 of us behind the goal. 
at the end at full time was absolutely terrifying. He had um, he had an open terrace behind the goal, and you lot all came over to clap us or whatever. Brilliant scenes, which quickly turned very sour as uh, a load of the locals had gone in the car park behind the stand and were chucking rocks over the uh, the the back oh, of the stand. No. There's no room. I think I remember that game when we went to the players' bar. I think there was a little bit of trouble in the players' bar after that. Well, because didn't oh, there was something there was something in the paper or something afterwards that we had a physio. There was a, a girl who was working at the club. Um, yeah, on the team. But I can't remember Lisa, her name. Lisa was her name. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And yeah. she'd, she'd apparently made some comment in the tunnel about uh, it's time to pop the champagne or something. And Carlisle, mm-hmm. I think Paul Simpson was the manager. <laughs> yeah, and he he came out in the non-league paper or something like that at the time, saying like. Uh, you know, Barnett are talking about popping champagne already. Let's see where they are at the end of the season, obviously. Yeah. Right, so there's quite a lot of needles yeah, well, between us and Carlisle. But yeah, I remember dodging the rocks as they bounced off the terrace, uh, the crash barriers in the away end at full time. And James, I think you were on the coach with me going back from that. Did, didn't the, uh, was it a brick or an egg that hit the coach on the way out of the car park there? Uh, probably, probably, a bit, probably a bit of both. Uh, well, it didn't. It didn't smash the window over. But I remember Steve Percy getting off and chasing these kids. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Steve Percy was running down the street, wasn't he, to uh, to, to uh, kick off of them all, wasn't he? Yeah, that was it. I remember that. That's, yeah. a, that's a that's a that's a great memory shout. There was there was something happened. I don't remember exactly what it was, but something happened in the bar. I think with some of their fans and and those boys going in after the game. Obviously, everyone knew how massive it was. It was like it, everyone thought at that even at that early point it was between us and them although there were some good other, other good sides in the league but like I said I mean from that point I don't think the league, the league got any shorter than what it was so well, we got help with the, the postponed games and stuff like that but but yeah so good statement oh. of intent early on as, yeah and, and I guess from you in particular because when you break in you get those great results um, as you already said you, you, you're kind of breaking into a fairly established side with those wins and being a bit new to it, uh, was there as much fun off the pitch at that point, celebrating and, and whatever else that followed? To be honest, um, at that point, so when I finally signed, I moved down there and I was living, believe it or not, with, as a lodger with um, Gary Phillips's family wow. out of St. Albans. So I literally, for the first, it was probably the first couple of months, I would... Go and train, come home, stay in the house. Go train, come home, stay in the house. Like, I literally, I didn't have a social life. I, I didn't really know the lads that well. I was getting to know them and stuff. And it took a bit of time. And then, obviously, you, you get to know certain certain players who you, you become closer to and stuff like that. And and then there, there, were, there, were, there was the odd night out, I'll, I'll say. The odd <laughs> one or two. Um, that got more and more as the season went on. But I think... I think that was down to like, I think we kind of had a, if you're happy off the pitch, you're happy on it kind of thing going on. And there were a lot of, a lot of the players, it was, it was such a diverse squad and like off the pitch, like I don't, I don't want to use this word because it's like, it's got negative connotations attached to it, but the, the way clicks, but not in the sense of like a bad clicks, but there were groups who all hung around together and, but then we'd have our Christmas do and everyone was there. We had like any club function, everyone was there. On the pitch, everyone was together. So it was it was it was quite a it was it was a strange dynamic, but it was a dynamic that worked. Who were your like who were your main group of mates off the pitch at Barnet? Um 
I, I got along with everyone, um, but the people who I spent my time with away from it was mainly Kingy, Strebs, Gratz. Um, me and Kingy were known to to frequent Eros on a Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think um, it's there anymore. No, that's a that's a travesty. That is a <laughs> place. Was it? Yeah, that. Yeah, but the thing is, we will we will go. We would never drink. We would never be out drinking. It would, but it would just be Monday night was our. If there wasn't a Tuesday game, that was when we went out. Um, and then weekends, it tended to be you, you. You couldn't go to London every weekend because it was that expensive. You like so at maybe once a month we might go out into West End, and then other than that we'd maybe go to Watford or St Albans, Batchwoods or St Albans. Um, so that's that's where the. The, the celebrations were the night that we won it as well. Yeah, we'll, come, we'll come to that in a bit, definitely, because I feel like we've got a lot, a lot to go on, on for that day, definitely. Right. But um, <laughs> I, you know what? I think at that at that time, given we were like winning the, you know, we're running away with the league. I, I think at the level of football, it is um, as fans. If you know, if we seen people out having a beer on a Monday night and we're winning five 0 on the Saturday and whatever, yeah. else, you, you're not, you're not bothered, are you? I think it's only when the team's doing badly. That you'd be like, oh, you know, he's a disgrace. He's doing this, that, the other. So yeah. I think it. See, I, I've, I've, um, not, not when I was at Barnet, but later on in my career, I had the other side of that sort. But it was a case of uh, the, what I said earlier on about being happy off the pitch, being happy on the pitch. That, that was very much something that I needed to be. If I wasn't happy off the pitch, I wasn't happy on it. Um, spent a lot of. I mean, I moved away from home at eighteen away from my family to Nottingham. Didn't know anyone there when I moved. Um, luckily, good group of lads there. Then from Nottingham, I went home for a little bit while I was trying to sort where to go. Back down to London, didn't know anyone. Um, so, like I said, the first couple of months were really quiet for me. I mean, some nights I'd go out, I'd go to Barnet and have a bite to eat and I'd be eating on my own. I felt like a right weirdo. <laughs> um, and then, like I said, when I got to know the lads, we, we, we'd go out, but we always knew, no matter how much we went out and stuff, like the, the, the goal was to get promoted. That's where everyone wanted to be. That's where we needed to get to. So nothing was ever done that could potentially derail that. Um, but it was, like I said, there was, it, it was hard to stay in it. Once once I'd integrated myself into the team and, and the squad and that, it was hard to stay in because you were on a high because like I said, the results were going so well and, and you, know, you, you you kind of felt like you, you needed a bit of a release from it at times. But yeah, like I said, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed my time there, especially once it got settled. Yeah. And obviously it was, you know, so you're part of a, a particularly memorable season, you know, for us as supporters at the time, it was, it was amazing. You know, you supporting a club like Barnet, it's not very often where, every week you feel like you're going to turn up and win um and we were and we were fantastic and even when we had a little dip later on in the season it was all it was still pretty consistent and you kind of never really doubted i think you know like you said after carlisle we're always at least six points if not more ahead um i just wondered like because i think that season was remembered for like all the goals like gratz got nearly 30 it was very like free flowing loads of goals from midfield so it, in, a, in a way a team that's so like based on attack the goalkeeper doesn't maybe get as much attention um, but for you, you know, sort of standing back behind those other 10 players, what were kind of your highlights that season? What Which moments prior to actually winning it against Halifax stood out um, for you? Right, well, 
obviously the debut was massive for me. I, I enjoyed that. But games that of, of significance were probably Exeter at home, where we were one nil. Yeah. And the old shot game at home as well, which that was probably my busiest game of the season. All the shot, all shot at home. Um, I think I know. I don't. I think I crawled off the pitch that that game. <laughs> but um, those two stick to stick to my in, in my memory. Like um, I missed a couple of games after all the shot because of because of the injury. Um, do you think Gordy? Gordy got a yeah, couple he, of games. he definitely Liaramai, I think, was Liaramai. Well, well, I actually I, I went to Liaramai to do a fitness test and I was on the bench at Liaramai, but if I'd have had to get on, I don't know what'd have happened because I couldn't move. <laughs> I was like, I, was like, I woke up that morning and I, I think I'd done some light training on the Friday. I woke up that morning and I was in so much pain. I was like, there's no way. It was my IT band going down my left leg and it was like a really severe dead leg. I just I felt like I was dragging my leg. Um, but do like well, you're up here now. You have to go on the bench. So <laughs> on the bench, but I wasn't needed, thankfully. Uh, yeah, but but those two, um, Exeter. Um, it was that's more. For, there was one. There was one save in particular. Um, when we, I was at the top of the hill, and the forwards came through, and he on the left hand side, and he shot across goal, and it's one of them where nine times out of ten. It's just been like that, hands up, let it go wide. And for some reason, I followed it. And Moxie was coming in at the back post. And I got back and I managed to block it at the, the far post. Um, and I think, did I get, I got man of the match or player of the month or something that, that, after that game. So that would, that's why that one stuck in my mind. But then the significance of all the shots as well was... It was a big one. Yeah, that was on the back of um, we'd lost two in a row, hadn't we? We'd exactly, get beaten, yeah. beaten by Hereford at home and they did a proper job on us. Like, we didn't get close to them. And, no, they, and then yeah. we got spanked up at Accrington, didn't we? Like, we lost the 4-1. Yeah. That, that, was, that was the only little wobble. because that's horrible the place to go, Accrington. Horrible oh, place. Even <laughs> worse, even worse, Scott, if you're on the terraces. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's on the pitch, I imagine. <laughs> well, like, like I said, yeah, I remember that Accrington game because that, that's one of the ones up my neck of the woods. Acton's uh, not too far from the pool, and um, I, that was a busy game for me. But yeah, we got got well and truly turned over. But that, and then I think because so many people were talking about the wheels falling off and stuff like that, to get that result at home to all the shots. I mean, that that's a tough run of games to be fair, out of the yeah. side during the league. But but yeah, I think that again got us back on track with a win yeah no I remember the Aldershot game well and I remember I think, I've think i got a feeling I could be wrong Dean Sinclair got sent off quite late on and so he finished with 10 men and it was yeah. a proper like kind of a bit of a back oh, to the wall job back to the wall. massive yeah you, yeah. Like, you were busy and I do remember being on the terrace that being a real kind of like when the whistle went a proper like yeah we're going to do it we're going to we're going to be fine after that little wobble and then after yeah. that we had quite a nice run we had like Lee Crawley Farnborough Forest Green, like teams down the other end of the table, which was that, was that still been seven or eight nil or something. Seven one, seven, seven one. one. Yeah. Didn't we go one nil down? Yeah, I, I think we might have done. Yeah, and, and I remember the chance Scotty needs a deck chair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd completely forgotten that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was that was because it was a sunny day, and I remember being at the top of the hill, and I don't think I touched the ball all half. Look, his play was all down. <laughs> so, but yeah. Did you did you ever pick up much of that from the terraces, like some of the chants and some of the shouts in your direction, either from home supporters or opposition supporters? See, I, I'm one of them. I was I was always a little bit of a 
bit of a knobhead with the away fans. Like, <laughs> I'm allowed to swear. Yeah, sure. you're fine. Yeah, do your boots. But like, if they were giving me it, I'd give it back. And that was just what it was. Uh, that, that was I, I was like that all whenever I played. Um, there was an incident. Um, did any of you go to Dagenham away when we'd already won it? Yeah. Yes. yes, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I didn't play. I was on the bench um, to give Gordy a game. Uh, he was meant to play the last three, and he got sent off at Morecambe, didn't he? Yeah. So I had to come on at that one and then play the next one. Um, but dagging my way the last game, I had um, I had a girlfriend when I was down there who was like local. She was from Hendon, Crickle uh, Hendon ways, and. Um, her ex happens to be a Barna fan. I can't, I think, I can remember his first name, I can't remember his name, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, a group of young, young fellas, so you, it might have been you actually, you, you, you'd have been about that age at the time. <laughs> as, we're, as we're warming up, um, a group of young sisters started to shout, um, so-and-so shagged your missus, and, like, and I, oh, I was fuming, I was raging. <laughs> And it was, I'm thinking, it's come from my own fans. We just won the league. My own fans are singing this. <laughs> like, where's that come from? But, um, but yeah, so you do pick it up, like, because the grounds aren't necessarily that big. Um, you, you hear it more, you're more accessible. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, with those, like, 7,000 old Safford the following season, it couldn't make a word out. You could just hear the noise. You couldn't make out what was being said. But when you're playing it and you, you're in a close vicinity with the, the fans and stuff, you do pick up what they're saying. And like I said, luckily that season was such a positive season that the majority of it was positive. I've been at clubs where it's been the other end of the spectrum where you're struggling and sometimes you hear stuff you don't want to hear, but it is what it is. And, and, and I'm like, like I said, I was... I, I, I was always the type to shoot from the hip and if there was something that I felt that needed to be said I would say it um, got me into trouble at times but uh, I hope that's how it goes Suppose as a goalkeeper it's a pretty lonely place if you can't give it back well th- that's just it but th- the thing is, the time I got myself into trouble was when I was at Rushton afterwards and we had a young lad there who was a great player um, and there was fans sh- our own fans shouting stuff that was terrible to this young lad, he's 19, just broken the team. And I've turned when the balls went out, he gave the ball away on the edge of the box, he shot, went wide for a goal kick. And I've went to get the ball and shouting this stuff to this young kid. And I've had the proper to do with them, like, and got fined, dragged in, had to do an apology at the fans for him and all that. So <laughs> like, you can, you can, you can have a goal, but there's levels, and this, this was like way, way beyond. But I suppose it's the age old argument of if. <laughs> you pay your money to get in there. You can do what you can say what you want. You're entitled to your opinion. But, to, a, uh, to, a, to an extent, though, to surely. Degree, yeah, yeah. But um, but it was never like that with Barnet. It was there were a couple of times where, well, not that season afterwards, but um, but that season, there's such a feel good factor that everything that was coming out of the place was positive. Like you say, even when we lost, even when we went on a bad run, it was like there was an a sense of inevitability that it was going to turn around and it was going to come good again. So it was it was a good place to be at the time. Yeah, I'd just like to confirm, Scott, that it definitely wasn't us giving you a hard time. <laughs> uh, as I recall, that was like the first one where so I was just sick. I just turned sixteen. Uh, we were all, we were in the pub and I was getting served. So I think I missed the kickoff for the first time ever that day. It was <laughs> all of a sudden the pub and football started to. Uh, 
change priority a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it weren't us, but uh, shame on those people who are having a game. Oh, <laughs> After the season, you'd have to them. Yeah. Um, so obviously, if we're talking about the 0405 season, we can't not dwell as much as you like on the amazing day, 9th of April against Halifax, uh, where we won the title. Obviously, the week before we ran up to Northwich, didn't really turn up, lost 2-0. Um, and then Halifax day and night for all of us, probably the call, was, was, was really special. Um, obviously, in the game, we won the game 3-1. They scored early. Uh, I'm just going to quote to you what Grazioli said on his one. Uh, that they scored in the second minute and Scott Tynan went down in instalments. Not our words. I was, I was still in the tunnel. I was still in the tunnel. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know. Shit goal that way, innit? Proper shit goal. Yeah. No, I remember it well. Low to my right. Across me. And yeah. I think I'm still paying for that dive. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, it got a lot better through the day after that. So, well, yeah. up, what do you remember about it? He doesn't need to fully bring that up does he <laughs> but um but yeah like, like, like I said it was um it, 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 at that point it was always always a case of when when's gonna happen when it wasn't if anymore it was when and like you say the Norwich one was so flat I remember did Paul Brayson score two yeah that's right absolutely tore us apart um we played at Witten didn't we uh Albion um yeah, and then it was a case of then you got Halifax and I knew their their keeper. But wasn't there a chance that we um, we could have won it without playing? Yeah, yeah. Hereford Hereford played Carlisle in that midweek beforehand, Halifax, and if if Hereford had beaten Carlisle, we'd have won it. No, it was ha- Halifax Carlisle, wasn't it? Oh, was it? I, I can't. I, and, I can't and, remember. And the goalie Dunbarvin had um, it been soon happened, and he basically walked out the box with the ball in his hand. And he got given a free kick, and instead of throwing the ball away, he gave it to Magno Vieira, and he just passed it and he scored, and they won one nil. But I, I remember, I don't know where we watched it, but I remember a group of us who were watching it together. Or it might have been a case if 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 they'd have lost that day, um, they could only draw with us or so, something like that. But there was something significant in that because I know I know Bavo Dunbarvin that, that um, it was a goal for Halifax at the time, and obviously then we played them to win it. And yeah, I think once once we went ahead in that game, I mean, all the OLAs come out and everything, and you think it's like you you, you almost switch off from the game, and you're thinking what what's going to come next because it was a a new experience for so many of us in that squad. Like we hadn't we hadn't achieved anything in our careers really, and yeah, what went on after that was just <laughs> wow. Yeah, because what I mean, you say, you know, you were like 20, 21 at the time. That's yeah. peak kind of going out. So we, we were all in the Weaver uh, afterwards with, uh, you know, I, I don't remember exactly who was and wasn't in there, but I'm assuming you were a part of the squad that was in there yeah. on the tables and whatever else. What are your yeah. memories that night? Well, yeah, we went to Weaver, Hatchie's local. Yeah. Um, went there and then, yeah, everyone ended up in, in Batchwood, even Clisty. This dude was the wisest man in the world, and he, he was in Batchwoods, and I, I I remember ending up back at King. I, I, mate, it's it's a blur. It's an absolute blur. But I know there was a lot went on. A lot went on. <laughs> but um, yeah, some nights like you just you we on that much of a high. Like you think it's been a long old season, but but like I said, it was it it was weird because it was a case of. 
not at one point did 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 any thoughts ever enter our head as a squad that we weren't going to achieve what we wanted to achieve, even in the dips in form or anything. So it was almost a case of when's it going to happen, and then that that relief that that was it, right? It's done, job done, finished. We've got what we wanted, and yeah, that that night was just that's that's special. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and good memories for all of us as well. Like, yeah, a, a, gr- a great night. And we had Strevs and Grat say similar things as well uh, prior to you coming on today. Um, so, obviously, as a football club, as a supporters, whatever, you know, we're, we're on a massive high uh, in the summer of 2005. Um, obviously, you've signed for the season in November and you, you've established yourself very popular with the fans and whatever else. Um, and, but I was reading, I'll just say, doing a bit of pre research. Renarko, you where you were interviewed a few years ago, where you said that you kind of had expected to leave in that summer, um, and there was maybe a move to Accrington on the cards. Was that purely kind of a location thing? No, at the no. Time? So, right, a, a lot of stuff happened that summer. A lot went on for me personally, and with regards to Barnet and stuff. So when I signed for, uh, for Barnet, I signed till the end of the season, and then a year's option. And the the contract I signed was ridiculous. Like it was, I mean, I would have been the lowest paid player at the club by a mile. Um, you would have struggled to find a fan lower paid than me. Never mind uh, another player. And I was promised that if we got promoted, I would be looked after and I'd be sorted out and I'd be given a a better contract. So. We, we, I play every game of fit, we win the league, get promoted, and then I got offered a £60 a week rise, and I was like, you're taking a piss, like seriously, I I was lucky that I was on half decent money the couple of seasons before at Forest, to the point where I could facilitate myself a little bit, and I got, I, I got relocation money for the move, now if I hadn't got that, I wouldn't have been able to do it, um, so that happened. And I said, I, I can't take that. And I was told, well, you'll have to because you've signed an option. We can keep you on the same money if you want. And I'm like, whoa. I said, well, I won't come back then. And then he said, well, we'll hold your registration. There was loads of talk went on. We'll hold your registration for the season, blah, 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 this and that. And then I got told, okay, we'll release you. We'll, we'll release you out of the option. I had options at that time. And I... And only for the fact that I'd been away for so long, I thought I want something local. Accrington at the time had a lot of scousers in the team, so there was people travelling from my neck of the woods up to there. Um, I went to meet them, um, met the chair, met the manager, knew John Coleman anyway, met the, met the chairman, agreed the money. He said, so the chairman goes, right, I'm just going to go and get your, your release papers from Barney, just take a seat. He's gone and like he's gone for ages. Left me. St- I'm, I'm in the st- in, um, sitting in the stand at Accrington, and um, I'm there for about an hour. I'm thinking, have they forgot about me here? Yeah. What's going on? So next thing, Coley comes out and goes, hey, "Can we have a word?" Um, so they take me back in, and it's me and the chairman said they've got some bad news. And I was like, "What?" So then um, we've contacted Barnet for the release papers, and he said they want fifty grand. I'm like. What? I was told I could go on a free. So then I've got on to Barnet. So that killed that deal. So I've gone to the Barnet 
And they've, they said, look, our offer stands £60 raised. That put me on 260 I was on £200 a week living in London. £200 a week. 260 quid a week playing in League 2 living in London. I was like, seriously, come on. And um, I said, right, I'm not, I'm not coming back. And then there was a lot happened on the fans' forum. I never, ever looked at that. But me, because my dad was in Liverpool, he always followed it. And I don't know who started the post. I don't know who commented on the post. But basically, a post went up calling me a greedy bastard. All, all I'm asked about is money and, and all this. And my dad stupidly puts, it, puts my side on there. It's nothing to do with me. Put my side on there. Didn't give any figures or call any names. My dad just said, look, if you knew the full side of the story, uh, both sides of the story, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying, blah, blah, blah. Um, my son's not being treated right, blah, blah, blah. And I get a phone call from the club telling me, I must tell my dad to take his comment down or I risk being fined and blah, blah, blah. So, so I'm, not, I'm not turning up. I'm not coming back. I said, unless you're going to sort my contract, I'm not coming back. Um, and I didn't turn up for pre-season at the start of pre-season. They signed Ross that summer. Um, I got a few phone calls that first week. Are you coming back? Something like lads and stuff like that. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I said, but I can't afford to live like, like that. And um, in the end, Tony Klanthos asked me to come back to training and we'll try and sort something. So I, I went back. Um, he gave Ross the one jersey. That pissed me off. Um, they played me second half in, against St. Albans with all the kids, but I had a decent game. They played me second half against Arsenal, put all the kids out. And my half, we actually won 1-0. So we 4-0 down at that time. We went 4-1, so I was like, yeah, I'm happy about that. But Paul didn't speak to me at all. Then after the Arsenal game, I got asked to go up. I think Andrew Wade asked me to go up to the where like the chairman was and stuff, the officers. And um, I'd had a good game against Arsenal, or a good half against Arsenal. And um, Tony Cleantos offered me a contract then, which it was a lot better. It couldn't be any worse, but it was a lot better than what they've offered pre previous. But I was kind of told, I've got no choice but to sign it. If you don't sign this, it's not getting any better. We're not going to release you. You may as well just sign. His words were, I'd be stupid to let someone like you go who's worth money to me. Right, right, okay. So I signed the contract, and then the Monday in training got called in by Paul, who hadn't spoke to me at this point at all. And he goes, he basically called me in to tell me that the money I'd been paid wasn't coming out of his budget, and that the chairman had decided to pay me that. So basically, he wasn't bothered that I'd been paid it because it didn't affect his budget. So, all right, so that's your way of saying that you don't really give a shit if, if I'm here or not. Um, but then, through pre season, I performed better than Ross, and, and I started, started the season. Um, we started fairly well, and then we had bad results away at Wrexham, and then obviously, Ross played in the, the League Cup game away at Bristol. and did all right 
but I, I genuinely expected to go back into this to the side on the Saturday. Like I, I, I hadn't done anything wrong to suggest that I should be pulled out. We were doing okay in the league. And um comes to the Saturday, he didn't pull me on the Friday, which he should have done. And then on the Saturday, he, sorry, he pulled me before the Bristol game to say, I need to give Ross a game. So I had no problem missing that game. I need to give Ross a game. Yeah, no, no issue. He didn't say he was dropping me. He said, I'm just giving him a game. So the Saturday comes around and he goes through the, the, the team talk and stuff, but he's not actually named the team. And then just before he's going out, he goes, oh, uh, the team, Ross in goal. Blah, blah. And I'm like, oh. And I kept my mouth shut. And that's not like me. And I, I remember speaking to Gary Phillips and saying, what's going on here? And Gary was like, don't know. He didn't tell me that he's, he's done that. So I didn't play again then until Plymouth in the next round of the cup at home, which we won. So it seemed, but then come the Saturday, I was back out the side and Ross was back in. So it was like, all right, so the keeper who's not playing in the, the league is playing in the cup. Okay. Then I remember travelling to a game on a... It was the draw for the third round on a Saturday morning. It was the yeah. Saturday night for Plymouth. We had, we had uh, Rochdale at home. Well, I, I remember driving to Underhill and um, I can hear my phone just going off. It's not like going nuts. Ping, 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 ping. And like, so I pulled over. I was like, what's going on here? And I seen loads. I had missed calls. I had text messages. I rang my dad back. He went, have you seen? Have you seen? I was like, seen what? I mean, he's got United away in the next round. And at that point, I was buzzing because I was thinking, well, I should play that one. I'm not playing the league. I'm playing the cup. And then obviously, Paul stitched me, didn't he? And threw me in against Mansfield the Saturday before. And then played Ross. I was like, that Saturday, that game Saturday before, a lot went on that, and like to the point where I think that was the lowest I'd ever been in the in the time I've been there because I'd done I'd done the right thing. So when I when I lost my place, as much as my head had gone, I threw myself into my training, and I I was doing extra sessions, I was doing work in the gym, doing everything I could to to be ready, and um. He throws me in it the Saturday away at Mansfield. And at this point, by the way, we we dropped like a stone in the league. And um, basically, I think everyone had their eye on the Wednesday night game. Got turned over. I mean, was it 4-1, four, four was it, or something like that? 4-0. 4-0. But um, even though I was, I've conceded a four, I think I, I made a lot of saves in that game as well. And then as I was walking off the pitch at the end, I got told something that just sent me under. And I've I've went for everyone then. Like, and I basically said, use law play on Wednesday night. I said, I won't. I said, use law, I won't. Um other stuff happened I'm not gonna go into. Um but then I got back to the training ground on the bus. Paul pulls me to the side and tells me there and then that I won't be playing on Wednesday. So he told me on the Saturday that I wouldn't be playing on the Wednesday. Um, told me that it's weird where we've got the biggest game of our lives coming up on Wednesday and how I acted after the game was, was wrong. And I said, Wednesday night's a fancy game. So we've just lost in the league 4-0 and we're like second or third bottom. 
which had sold place prior to with that, I can get my head around it. And um, to make things worse, he made me rumoured. Me and Ross had fell out at this point. Like, I don't know whether you were aware of what went on and stuff. We were going to ask about your relationship. This was sort of the thing. So I, we, obviously we're, we're going to come, we have to come to Old Trafford and, and maybe how that turned out to be a bit better than maybe we might have thought originally. But we wanted to talk anyway about that whole summer because it's quite a weird thing that um, you go and win a league and have the form that you, you had through that season and the, the atmosphere. Um, we could never have known about some of those other things that were going on. But, but of course, we know that Ross Whitley came in that summer um, with a, with a bit of noise around it as well as as I remember certainly the club yeah. made a bit of fanfare about um, Mini, or we actually was, asked Gratz Little Eddie was called was it or something like that and this was it we actually asked Gratz about this and said that you know we, it was announced almost as Edwin van der Sar's number two and Gratz um, very diplomatically said he, it probably wasn't quite the case but he had been at Fulham um, yeah. and, uh, and and knowing now what you've you've said and um, knowing that, that that Ross came in, do you? Th- I mean, I, I don't expect you necessarily to answer the question if it's if it, if you don't want to. But do you think it's a case of a club managing a budget and taking advantage of a of a contract or a year option contract that's there, or is it is it is it the manager who's got eyes on a new player, or is, it, is that just football? Is that life? Is that football life? Um, I think there were a few factors. I should, so, so the first thing, first of all, when Ross first came in, I had no issue with Ross coming in. I had no issue with Ross as a goalkeeper or anything like that. Nothing at all. Because he's just looking after himself. But I know for a fact he went on, he would have been on a lot more money than the contract that I was being offered. And I'm thinking, just help you win the league. So you shouldn't do me like that. And um, so then in the summer, I, I think one of, one of the biggest problems, well, not, not, not problems, but one of the biggest things about our squad was it was a quiet squad. Like, there weren't many talkers. There weren't many people who would dig people out or, you know, when you needed to say, listen, fucking sort yourself out there. And there was only really Hendo, me, and probably Nicky Bailey. Now, when I got into the side, Nicky Bailey wasn't in the side. He came in just after me. I think he cemented his place. Yeah. Um, but... Team meetings were like it was like a funeral. No one would say nothing, but but no one really needed to say anything because things were generally going well. But then when things were going bad, the only people who had voices were were me and Endo, and Paul couldn't say nothing to Endo. So I think I was kind of his. He didn't like he didn't like me speaking up, and Gratz was great with me that season. Um, he, he, he kept my head level at times where I was ready to just fuck it. Um, and Gary Phillips as well. Gary was always the person who I called away from me to say, listen, what do I do here? Because like, at times I felt like I was banging my head against the brick wall. Um, but Paul didn't didn't like anything being questioned. He didn't like and He didn't even want an alternative point of view. He just wanted people to go, and that weren't me. And I think that caused part of the issue. But it never, ever affected my my work ethic, uh, how I played, anything like that. Like, I, I could rant and hammer someone, but then five minutes later, it's done with. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't need to be back and forth and you this, you that. It doesn't need to be that. But 
Paul just wanted players to just quietly get on with with life and when things were when the chips were down I struggled with that especially the following season the second season for me when I wasn't even in the team and I was still one of the only voices in the team meetings I'm thinking this isn't right here someone needs to to say something so I'd say something and it, I, I felt like he almost resented the fact that I was a gobby fucker but it was always for the good of the team I would never purposely say anything to hinder anyone or anything like that I would never comment on Ross whether he played badly played well I would never comment but um, the difficulty for me was like I said I felt I got let down in the summer with my contract they then signed another goalkeeper which I knew they had to sign another goalkeeper but giving them the one shirt I thought was a kick in the bollocks then how pre-season went I was shocked at the start of the season, even though I'd played better in pre-season. I was shocked that I started it. Um, and to this day, I don't know why he did. Because it was obvious he was just waiting for the first chance to pull me out and not put me back in. So what, 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 what became difficult was I'd had a terrible summer. I'd hated every minute of it. I'd gone back to a club kind of where I felt like and and don't take this the wrong way I felt like I had my arm up my back like you've got to come back but at the same time I loved playing there I loved playing for Barney like I loved the lads everything about it I had issues with Paul I had issues with my contract but the football inside of stuff and the people around the place from the people working at the ground to the fans to everything I loved it um, one of the happiest on-field clubs I've ever been at, but the off-field stuff like it hindered it. And then the difficulty was I lost my place, and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn saying this, but I don't think Ross was playing well, and I still wasn't getting a look in, and that made it all the more difficult to swallow. I knew with Ross, I got to know very soon. I knew within the first 10 minutes of a game whether he was going to play well or not because he was such an emotional goalkeeper. If he does something positive in the first 10 minutes, he'll have a worldie. If he does something negative, his head dropped. And I knew that. He was the same age as me. We were both young young keepers. But like, what, what, where, where I felt I had, had the edge over him was the fact that if I made a mistake, it was like, oh, fuck it, on to the next one. Whereas I knew it affected him. Now, I've never asked and I would never want to know how fans or anyone like that thought we were against each other. But um, there were a couple of incidents that by the time Old Trafford came round, me and Ross had no relationship at all on on a on a personal level, a teammate level, anything. I came in, I, I did what I needed to do with him. I worked as well as I needed to work, but but I, I would never pick up the phone to him like I would with Ricky Millard or anyone and other goalkeepers I've worked with since. Um, and I don't feel as if that was my doing, so to speak. 
there was if you've spoke to Stebs and it hasn't already came up, then I'm not going to be the one to bring it up. <laughs> but something happened, and and then what made it worse was Paul knew about what had happened, and then ruined me with Ross when we went away to United. I'm like, why'd you do that? Just, it's like he was just stoking the fire, and I mean. Old Trafford turned out probably better for me than most players in the end. But <laughs> I kind of got robbed of the experience in the sense of I, I was in the worst mood ever. Like, literally, from Saturday right the way through to kick off, I was like a bear with a sore head. And, and then, obviously, what happened, happened. And rest history. One of the best nights of my life in the end. I got B4-1. How's that work out? Well, yeah, I hope that kind of puts a little bit of perspective on on what went on in that. Yeah, moment. I mean, we just wondered with, with Fairclough. Obviously, I say he brought you in kind of from nowhere and and whatever else. And then, and we'll talk as well post Old Trafford in a minute. Yeah. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on that night in, in particular, and then what happened afterwards. But um, with Fairclough, after he dropped you following the Wrexham game, which not to doubt your memory at all, but you, we played Bristol City on the Tuesday, then Wrexham, yeah. then we had another league game, so you, you were out and in. Yeah. So it's almost even more of a kind of shock to the system, I guess, than being out for a cup game and then straight out again. Um, did your relationship with him kind of deteriorate? I know you said you didn't speak much in the summer, but I'm assuming you'd kind of built it back up again a bit. After that being dropped for one game, you know, when we started the season quite well, was that the start of the end, if you like, for you and Paul? Me, me, and, me and Paul never had a relationship. It was really weird. Before I signed, he was putting me up in his house. I was staying in his house with him. And then when I signed, I swear he didn't speak to me for about two months. Like, I was like, what's happened here? He, 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 like his, he got one of his daughters to take me out to show me around one day. You know, this all before I signed, telling me that... I'd be his England Sea goalkeeper. He never once picked me. I'm like, just a lot. Like, he, he sold me the dream. And then when the reality came, he didn't follow through with anything. And I had no time for that. I was like, that's bullshit. So, like, I just got on with my football and stuff like that. And like I said, he didn't like it when I spoke up in meetings and, and whatnot. Um Never to the detriment of him, and, and, and probably 99% of the time, it wasn't even directed at him, it was directed at the players in the squad and stuff, but he didn't like that, he didn't like confrontation, he didn't like anything in in that respect, and the summer kind of finished us off, he signed Ross, it was clear that he was the goalkeeper he wanted to play, and... I just got told, dig in, work hard. When your time comes, take it. And like I said, I played against uh, Plymouth in the second round of the Cup. Yeah. Good result from a team league above. Where they, or two leagues above? Two leagues above. I think they were a championship. Yeah. They were, yeah. Yeah. Um, so we beat them, which was a great result. So I've done all right in that. But there was one game, and I don't even know whether you usually even know it happened. I, it was such an insignificant game but uh, we were everywhere Scott we were sad kids trust me would you remember the res- like it was billed as a reserve game away at Luton 
Oh, maybe we maybe not that bad. Oh. Yeah, right. I, I, did, I did used to bunk off lessons in year twelve to go and watch the reserves on a Wednesday afternoon, but only the home games. So I think well, I there, the was, there was a reserve game arranged um, away at Luton, so it built as a reserve game. Bear in mind, we didn't have reserves at the time. If you remember, it was just the odd game here and there, and mainly kids from that ProTech academy yeah, yeah. thing. So he's done this. He's done this game and he's t- like he told me that you're required to play on Wednesday, which is your day off. Fine, I wanted to play, wanted the game. But then I've gone in touch with the other lads. Anyone playing? No one's playing. Just me. I'm like, there's no one else from our squad playing. So turn up away at Luton and I walk into this dressing room and it's full of kids. Literally like 16-year-old kids. I'm like... Who the hell are these? Like, Gary Phillips is, again, he's like, don't know what's going on. Paul didn't, I don't think Paul even went to the game. Um, I think Gal took the game. Gives me the armband. So I'm going out captain, like, bloody, felt like a charminder. <laughs> a scout leader. Took him out. Honestly, I think we got beat about, it was about 13 nil. My head just... My, my head had gone like I, I, if, if I'd have I, 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 I was ready to jack it in I was like nah this is proper proper like <laughs> like what's he trying to, is he trying to break me here like this is and, and I, I'd had enough I'd had enough and I, like again Gary Phillips talked me around Grats talked me around I'm like I, I, I can't do this no more like this is beyond the joke that, that game was the single most embarrassing moment of of my whole career, and luckily, hardly anyone even know it, know it happened. But um, remember they had um, black lad up front scored about seven. It's <laughs> like fuck. Like I I, I get annoyed when someone if if I ever can see the hatter and he scored seven. I'm like, what's going on here? Like I, 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 like at half time, I'm like. I'm fuming and, and I'm saying to these kids I'm like this isn't your fault this isn't your fault you're just way out of your depth these are men against boys it's, it was ridiculous so I asked Paul for a meeting and he declined he wouldn't have a meeting with me on the Thursday I was like fucking great stuff so I went home and that night I remember on the Wednesday night and I wrote down everything that I wanted to say in this meeting I go into the first field centre on Thursday Paul can have it in a word. Did you have to say <laughs> no? <laughs> like, I didn't sound that was it. Um, then we get to Old Stafford. The rela- there was no relationship with me and Paul at that point. Like I said, um, I wasn't playing, I was just keeping myself to myself. I, I was struggling with things because. I'm the worst number two goalkeeper in the world in the sense of I, I hate sitting on the bench. No, a lot of keepers don't mind it, and but I would I hated it. I, like to train all weekend and not have a game at the end, it was like a waste to me. Um, so I, I really struggle with that, and and yeah, we get to Old Trafford. I got to play not under the circumstances I would have wanted to, but then. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll let you just carry on. Well, so I promise we'll do that Man United bit and it, we really want to do it as well. So we, we're definitely getting there. But yeah. 
just from the way you've described that, and you've played at however many different clubs as well, um, look, there's going to be a second goalkeeper and third goalkeeper, and that's life, and that's, and that's, you know, that's the gig. But not accepting meetings, um, not being able to explain the situation, mind games with the other, you know, your direct competition who, who it's noted that you don't get, you know, there's a, there's a relationship issue there. Is that a bit unusual? Is that a bit odd? Or is... I'll be totally honest with you. Every other club I've been at, I think the other goalkeepers have been one of my best mates. Like, when I was at Rushton, Dan Crane lived with me for a couple of months while his house was getting ready. He was my direct competition. Um, when I was at Forest, Barry Roach was one of my best friends. Oh, Barry Roach. He's a friend of the podcast, Scott. <laughs> yeah. the field away, 2007. We were winning 1-0 with five minutes to go. And uh, he's in goal for them. The ball comes over our end. We're in the away end. We've been drinking vodka in the ground, down our jeans and all sorts. And uh, the ball gets passed around between a few of us. I end up with it in front of him. And uh, I've leaned over the advertising board to go back to him and then pulled it away. Yeah. Uh, the whole ground's kicked him off. He started swearing at me and whatever <laughs> else. over his head. So, um, yeah, Barry Roach is the name that rings very well, true. We, Roach, Roach had that head loss in him. He, He's a scary know. man. Yeah, I was did, Big old diary, biggest head in football. <laughs> at, Mor- at Morecambe, we did apologise to him and he, he took it a lot better when it wasn't in the moment. <laughs> he's, he's, he's a great lad. He's he's brilliant. Like I said, one of my best mates when I was at Forest. Still really keep in touch now, speak as often as we can. Um, so yeah, it was, it was weird to be in a position where I didn't get along with the other goalkeeper. Um, but like I said, oh, you know what, fuck it. I'll tell you what it was. At the, at the Mansfield game, come off, got beat 4 0. Stevs pulls me and goes, Look, probably not the right time to tell you, but if I didn't tell you, you'd be annoyed at me. When the third goal went in, Ross gave it a yes. And I thought, fuck you. That's it. And I, and I went off one. And, that, and that, I thought, I pulled them when we went away to Manchester. I went, Look, got a room together. Don't speak to me. No interest in speaking to you. We're here to do a job, not to be a friend. Didn't speak the whole time. Um, and it was horrible. I hate I hated that because, like I say, you have to work closely with these people. So it was, you had to switch it on and off, your, your personal side of things, just to get the job done. The only other time I've not got along with them, and no, I would even put in the same, same category. But the situation I found myself in my second season at Rushton was... Paul Hart signed Nicky A and basically tried to get me to leave the club. But that was all a little bit of a, a fuck on because I found out that Nicky A's agent was Paul Hart's son. And then a few days after Nicky A signed for them, for, for us, for Rushton, um, I got a phone call off Paul Hart's son saying he could get me a, le- a move back into League, league Two. And I went, you've just brought in a keeper to replace me, yeah? Went, yeah, but he's not ready for League 2. You, can, you are, and I can get you a move there. I went, no, you can do one. Um, but I didn't get along with Nicky just because it, it wasn't Nicky. It was the situation that annoyed me. I wasn't playing again, and I went on loan back into League 2, which was quite funny, so it worked out a lot right for me. But the Ross situation was uh, a situation I'd never been in before. Listen, if I met him now, you shake your hand, you talk about what... What, what's, what's happened since it's not 
it's not something I'd hold on to. I've got no resentment to him now. But he, he was a he was probably the byproduct of of the situation with Paul. And he I'd like to think he'd probably say he could have handled the situation better. Um but yeah. If I if I was out the team and the goalkeeper was playing really well, you hold your hands up and go crack on, mate. Fair play. But I I felt like I felt like we get we could get beat ten 0 every week and he still weren't gonna put me back in. And that was that was the hard thing to accept. If we um if we talk about Old Trafford then obviously we talked about quite a lot of the build up there and it's it's really interesting to get your sort of perspective of how it was to sort of not be in the team and, and the sort of circumstances around it. Um, 90 seconds into the game, Ross Flitney, uh, the way you described it, sort of perhaps didn't have his best moment running outside the box and handling the ball within 90 seconds. What was going through your head at that point when the referee uh, produces a red card? <laughs> well, how it happened, was re- it, was, it was surreal, to be honest. So, obviously... The tunnel's in the far corner, didn't it? So you have to walk right up the pitch to the dugout and stuff. So, ball's gone over the top. We don't really see what's happened because everyone, you've only just got to the to the dugout, so you're like, you're fixing your shin pads and you're getting yourself comfy and, and stuff like that. And anyway, the referee blows as Ross gets the ball and you're like, so everyone stood up. And then it's like, oh, he's get he's given a free kick, blah, blah, blah. And everyone else sat down and I stayed standing up. I was the only one who stayed standing up. No one was paying any attention. I was the only one who seen the red card. And I went, he sent him off. And they went, what, what? So he sent him off. And literally, not going to lie, my legs just went to jelly. And I'm thinking, where's the fucking tunnel? I'm going. (laughs) 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 um, So... Paul obviously has to try and prepare what he's going to do and I've got to come on, I'm getting ready. And Gary Phillips came to me and said, look, just, you know what to do, blah, 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 just crack on. Blah. And um, again, this just typifies Paul's relationship with me. He doesn't say a word to me before we got, before I go on. He walked to Ross, who was making his way to the tunnel while I'm going on. So not even a good look, not even... Not nothing, no instructions. I go on. The person I felt sorry for in the whole situation was Louis Saws. Yeah, of course. Um, and obviously the first thing I have to do is pick the ball out of the net. But um it was yeah, it but again I, as I'm coming on, Gratz came to, to was it as I was coming on, it might have been no, it was half time as we were going off. Gratz comes to me as I walk off goes Fucking funny how things work out, isn't it? <laughs> and um, my, my, dad, my dad, my granddad and my cousin were at the game. They would only see who made it. Um, and I remember when <laughs> the red cards went up, obviously all the Barna fans were fuming and there's my dad, my granddad and my cousin all jumping up. Because <laughs> you know they're not going to come on. Were they in and our end with us? What? Were they in the away end? Yeah, they were in the away end. And then the next thing... This family turned around and go, what, what the fuck? What are you going? Why are you cheering? And he went, that, that doesn't, that's my lad who's coming on. And they went, yeah, and that's my lad who's going off. And it was oh, really, really oh, sore. Oh, no. I, like, but wow. I, I didn't find all this out until the end. But like I said, <laughs> we're getting beat at halftime. We're down to 10 men. 
and I thought, I, I don't know, I, I made a, I was selected free kicking, but then he had a free kick just after, and I made a good save down to me right from Kieran Richardson, I think it was. So I felt settled in the game, and then I thought, I, like, so I got over the shock of I'm on, and then come out the second half, and obviously the Stafford ends behind me, and I've never took abuse like it. Like, and I'm like, what the f- what? Where's all this come from? And someone told me, apparently in the programme, it said I was a boiled Liverpool fan. So obviously that's where, they, that's where it came from. But yeah, I learned things about my mother that night that I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, the, you, was, you said earlier, Scott, you give it back to a lot of away ends. So you turn around and give it a main night as well. As a scouser, you must have been tempted. I kept quiet that game. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was, like I said, it was... It was a real roller coaster of emotions from the Saturday through to full time. I mean, we went to we went to the ground the day before to have a look at it when it was empty, and I think you almost appreciate it more the size of it when it's empty more than when it's full. Um, but I couldn't enjoy it. I, I already knew I wasn't playing. Like I was in the worst mood. Didn't enjoy the experience being up there. We did a thing the night before the game. We had a meeting. We turn up to this big, big fucking table, massive table. And you sit down in your place and there's a book in front of you and it says Scott Tynan, Manchester United away and the date on the front. This little sparkly book it was. What you had to do, you had to pass it to the left, look at the person's name on the front, then write something about them in the book. And it goes all the way. Again, this is, this is classic Paul for you. Goes all the way around until the bucket until your book gets back to you. And then he says, Now go off somewhere on your own and have five minutes reading what the rest of the squad think about you. So we, we did that and again, like some great stuff been wrote in there, but I just couldn't shake my mood. I was in the worst mood. And then I, I'm annoyed at myself that I allowed myself to feel that way because I I almost rob myself of the the experience to an extent i'm quite disappointed that you said there was nice stuff written in the books i was expecting loads of penises and various other bits like that to be honest with you i think someone someone wrote something about me here do which was well and truly deserved um (laughs) but yeah no see stuff like that like i didn't mind it i didn't i didn't mind like like paul was into like the the psychology of it and stuff like that. What I had a problem with what with was it all had to be nicey nicey. Everything had to be nice and there was no place for a sort your fucking head out. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you couldn't you couldn't bollock anyone. Endo did. Me and Endo had a away at Wrexham actually. <laughs> Came with his knees they got But we had it at half time at Wrexham. Because I think one of the goals, I've called him out on it or something like that. But the thing is, with, with Endo, me and Endo had a few back and forth, but didn't affect, like, you know, he was my captain and I respected him. And more so than, than most people in the squad, anything he said, I took on board. Um, so it was like, I don't know, he was, Paul had a different approach. And it was a very, a very nice approach to football. Um, 
which would probably reflect on a lot of his sides that he's had as well throughout the years. Like, you wouldn't, like, I don't, I don't know. He had his way. Maybe I didn't fit into that way as much as I, I would have liked to. But Yeah, I mean, we're talk, talking to kind of fitting in. So you play at Old Trafford um, and then the Saturday after we had Rushton at home where it was assumed Flitney would be suspended, but obviously exactly. the red card got overturned. Now, again, correct me if I'm wrong on anything. From what I've read, you gave an interview saying that you turned up for the game and were told to leave the ground, that you weren't welcome. No, well, yeah, but no, there was a, a little bit in between. So on the Friday, I'm playing. I'm in, I'm in the shape and everything. I heard after training, when I'm back home, that Ross's red had been overturned. Um, now, at that point, if I'm not playing, I should get a phone call and explain to me Ross's suspension's not going ahead. He's going to play. Um, now, there's two ways of looking at it. You can look at it and think, which a lot of people will have, and think, poor Ross. He's lost the Old Trafford experience. That'll be with him forever, blah, blah, blah. Or you can look at it and think, he's made a mistake and he's got punished for it. Now, the punish might have been, punishment might have been too harsh, but he still made a mistake. So, depending on which side of the fence you sit on, I know where I was. I'm not, probably not where everyone else was. But I turned up for that game on the Saturday, wholeheartedly, heartedly thinking I was playing. Um, I go into the, get into the changing room. My shirt is in the position where the starting goalkeeper would be. So I'm sat there. I'm getting changed. Paul comes in for his team meeting, does it again, goes through the full team meeting. Then as he's about to leave, he goes, oh, team today is Ross in goal. And I went, that's bollocks. And he's went, that's it, get out, get out. And I was like, I just got up and I walked out. And he tried to pick me bag up, but he couldn't pick me bag up. And he tells someone to bring my bag out to me. Um. So I go out. Gratz wasn't playing that game, was he? And was King, and and I think Kingy might have missed the game as well, because I went to there was a cafe round the corner. I went to this cafe round the corner with Gratz and Kingy, and they were like, "Keep you there, blah blah blah." And they, I, I wasn't going back, and they convinced me to go back to the the, the game. So um, in the stand behind the dugout. And I don't know who told him. I don't know if he just saw me or what. But um, he asked the steward to come and escort me out. No. Tells me I don't want to be in there. And there was a couple of fans around us who said some offered to pay for a ticket for me and stuff like that. Um, can't even remember what I did. I don't know if I stayed or what. Well, I don't. I don't recall. And um. And yeah, so it was, that was shit. That day was shit. Um, don't remember anything about the game. But but apparently when I've left the changing room, he's basically turned around to the squad who were left in there and said, that lad's not on board with what we're trying to do here. 
I'm like, fuck off, don't give me that shit. Like, I, I cared every single game I cared, whether it was playing or not, I wanted the lads to win. And yeah, so after that, I got told I could go. Um, let me get this right. I went for a meeting on the, the Monday. I was told I could go. I was told to drop my training kit in on the Tuesday. I spoke to Rushton. They told me they wanted me if I, if I get released. And then never happened. Like, I can't remember how it came about, but it never happened. And then, oh, that was it. Then he said, um, they, they said they'll look at it again in the January. Um, I went in to, to see Tony Cleantos and said, I'm here to sign my release papers because Paul told me I could go. And he said, I'm not releasing you. Well, well Paul's told me I could go. I've handed my training kit in. I'm not releasing you. So I was like, what the fuck? So I'm thinking, the manager and the chairman aren't even speaking. I can't speak to the manager. Like, what, what do I do? So Tony asked me to dig in until January and see see how it goes, see if I get back in the team, blah, blah, blah. Which I didn't. Didn't get back in the team. Rushton came knocking in the January. Um, I thought I could get out on a free. Turns out I couldn't. Um, and then, so the money that Rushton ended up paying to Barnett came out of my contract. No. So right. what I... I was going to say, obviously, the way the way it ended. So you know, you, you didn't play <clears throat> in the league again after the Old Trafford. You're on the no. bench the week after Rushton. You're on the bench against Southend in the cup, and then you, your last ever game for Barnet. I suppose it went full circle in some ways. It was the elderly bands or whatever you want to call it again. Yeah. We had MK Dons in front of 800 people or whatever, and we got battered three mm. 0 Which for all we were talking before we come on air earlier, that it, it was a shame that that was the way it ended from our point of view because you were very popular with the fans. You know, like. No one wanted it to end like that, but then yeah, it was when it came out to January. It was reported in the press at the time, and correct us if we're wrong. Like, yeah, Rushton ten grand, but are you saying that that fell on you? Yeah, so so I did. I'd agreed a deal with Rushton for my wages, um, and then this it was actually twenty grand. The end of the pain, it was ten grand and another ten after. 20 appearances. So basically the 20 grand was taken off the length of my contract. So I signed a two and two, two years with two year option. Um, so I basically got five grand a year less than what I should have got for them to be able to afford the transfer fee. Um, but yeah, got, just touching on what you said there, I was gutted with how it ended. Like, I really gutted because I didn't enjoy so much there to, to go out like that. I was like, really? Like, I mean, in the 18 months I was there, we got promotion, we got to the third round of the League Cup, played at Old Trafford away. Like, big, big things happened. And and all this time, there was so much shit going on in the, pa- in the back that no one was really aware of. And at times, like, 
it fell on my shoulders that it was like it was my fault it was happening and and I didn't feel that yet I, I spoke my mind I, uh, maybe at times I could have just been a bit more of a yes man but anything I ever said in team meetings in training after the match in the dressing room whatever it be was only ever to try and get the best out of the team to only ever to try and help the team but I don't know Paul didn't agree and ultimately if the manager don't agree with you there's not really much you can do because it's his decision at the end of the day I'm not knocking what he did because he was a massive part in in the promotion um, but he, he, he was no different whether we were winning or losing and I don't think that works you've got to kind of be able to adapt and, and, and League 2 although there's not there was not a lot of difference in some of the quality you look at the top teams in, in the conference that we played against yeah. and you look at probably the bottom half of League 2 there's nothing between them but the only thing is there's a lot more organi- a lot more organisation sides are more organised and you don't have a week off you don't have a Farnborough, you don't have a Liara Mike. Every single week you're playing against top players. And that season just didn't like we were so confident going into that season and to survive by well, to my detriment really, because Rushton went down, but it was um a lot a lot went on. Uh, and I had like when I first went to Rushton, I had like a really bad personal time. Like something happened, and I was out the team for a bit because I got told something. Well, I, got to, I went for the scan on a on a little niggle, and basically I got told I had cancer. I told, got told I had the malignant tumor in in the back of my hip. So they pulled me out the team for eight weeks. I thought this. I was seeing a specialist in Harley Street until I got the all clear. Um, it turned out it was a massive hematoma. So I was just thinking, when am I going to get a break here? <laughs> it's like, you know, <laughs> That's a rough year. I know, it was, it was shit, yeah. And, and, um, and then obviously it was, it was a little bit bittersweet. You was coming to, to Rushton at the end of the season. Um, I'll, I'll be honest, I was, wanting, I was wanting it to go to that game. Like, and unfortunately, we, we went down the week before away at Boston. But I would have fucking loved it to have gone to that game. <laughs> um, turned out didn't mean nothing. But um, it was nice to... I, I got a, a good reception from the fans and that um, after the game, which was good. It was kind of... It um, felt really weird, that game, because we'd just been relegated... And I'd gone to the fans of my old club and it was just like, I, I, was like, I didn't want to really engage too much to seem disrespectful to the fans at Rushton. And yeah, it was, um, it was a weird one. Is it right you weren't allowed to play in that game? Do I remember yeah. That? yeah. They, they, put, they put that clause in and, and <laughs> I, I remember I didn't find out about that until about three weeks beforehand. And I, I remember phoning like the Barn lads like, the little fucker won't even let me play. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> doesn't want me there, but won't let me play against him. What the fuck's all that about? 
But um, yeah, that, that see that 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 just for me that summed up the mind games. Like, why would you do that? Like, seriously, if you deem me not good enough to play for your team, why would you stop me playing against you? Like, it wasn't like it was a long move and, you know, you don't play against your parent club. They'd sold me. I thought, that's that's so petulant. I even tried to get them to reverse it when the game meant nothing. Just so I could play the game and they wouldn't. So... With, with all the stuff you've said, and I suppose there's a lot of stuff there that a lot of fans won't, won't have known, and already I think you were quite popular with fans anyway. I can see how it would have been a, a good first year, but, a, but a, a, certainly a rough period through that, that, that second period or second part of it. When you reflect back on your time at the club, is it, is it a positive thing for you? or is it, how, like, how do you feel about it now? Um, I loved my time there. I didn't love not playing. I didn't love the relationship with Paul. Um, I didn't love the politics off the pitch, but I loved playing for Barney. Um, I loved the group of lads. We had so many good lads in that squad. Um, not just good players, but like real decent lads. Um, everyone was honest, got on with the, their job. Um, if anything, and I think where the downfall was, in that second season, too nice. There was no audible bastard other than Endo. <laughs> and, and, and you need an audible bastard. You do. Nicky Bailey added in them as well. He could he could do, but sometimes Nicky did it in a different way, which pissed people off. But what a player he was. But um, I mean, you look you look at that squad. I mean, he allowed Christie to leave, which was stupid. What Sam Clist, not just an absolute gentleman, but what a player he was. I mean, he was centre mid and what a job he did at left back. Yeah. Don't don't let him take any penalties, left but <laughs> um, so so yeah, like I mean, yeah. Gentle giant, Kingy, such a gent. We were quiet. Like we, there was no one to, to grab you by the scruff of your neck and drag you through the game other than Hendo. Um, when Hendo never played, it was a different dynamic completely. Damien Back came in and Damien Back was a very good player, but he wasn't Hendo. And, and almost, obviously because I spent a lot of time on the side that season, I was kind of looking when Hendo didn't play, I'm like, Where's it going to come from? Who's, who's going to guide us? And Strev's had an indifferent time with Paul. Um, Strev was a talker, but he was a talker. He wasn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't rant and rave. He wouldn't shout. He would talk to you a lot. Um, but it was a young side. Um, apart from Grandad Grat. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, even the, even the players, correct me if I'm wrong, but we didn't sign any old heads, did we, when we moved up either? It was a pretty underwhelming summer. We had like Flitney, Norville, Bowditch, Soares. And Dean Bowditch was a good player, but he just never got going. He, yeah. I'd, I played against Dean. I got along really well with Dean. Um, I played against him when he was at Tottenham and stuff, so I knew of him anyway. Um, yeah, Norville, Jason Norville. 
yeah, we'll, we'll move on from him. <laughs> but yeah, we did. We didn't really. We didn't sign any old. I mean, when I first came the first season as well, we had uh, Danny Mannix, didn't we? Yeah, he was there. Uh, yeah. But but um, but he left not long after that. Charles, he came in. Anthony Charles came in. Um, now Charles, he was a little bit older, but again, Charles he was just a joker. So like, he, he was just a he was just a mess about, but he was boss. And I just think when we went up to League Two, then we needed to do more. We had a great base of a team, but we had like maybe thirteen players, and it just wasn't enough. And there was no, there was no experience other than Gratz and Endo. No one, had, no, I don't think anyone else had played league football. Um, that's not enough. It's just not. Not if you want to go and kick on from where you've been. And it was a shame that we let that momentum go. But we did. We didn't start that season bad, did we? Crystal Rovers first game, but then didn't we win? Two North or three Am- Northampton away last minute. Nicky Bailey. Yeah. When the floodlights went out, that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, and then we beat Carlisle as well again, three-one like the season before. And then yeah. we beat Macclesfield. We were top of the league after four games. And we thought, yeah. oh, he's pissed. We win this league as well. <laughs> so, so, so then, then, then was it the Bristol game? And then Bristol, Grimsby, Wrexham, and we lost at home to Grimsby. Then lost away at Wrexham. Right. So, like I said, it's. Like, I mean, you first. So that was our first six games. One, three. Drew one, lost two. Yeah. It's a good start for a newly promoted side. It's a good start. Yeah, we were all buzzing. We were all, uh, yeah, we yeah. thought we were going to be fine. And, and uh, we said on the um, Gratz one that that season, even after United, it took about a month or two before the fans kind of realised we were in trouble because it, it was kind of like, we're, you know, we knew in this league we started quite well. And we had a few games where we played all right but lost. And then it, it just, it went, downhill very quickly and obviously it culminated in that trip to Rushton last day of the season um, yeah. where we had to win stay up I think I think at least I, I thought after that Mansfield game I thought we were in trouble um, it wasn't the getting beat it was the manner of the defeat and that worried me um, obviously at that point I felt as if I wasn't going to play it at Old Trafford I didn't know for sure but um, I don't know where we were in the league at that point but we were down and in and around it um, and yeah it's like I say it was wasn't the way I wanted things to end it wasn't how I saw it ending um, I would have liked the summer after winning the league to have been smooth transition they give me what I felt I deserved what, what I felt that they promised me. Um, so it wasn't just like I went in and said, I want this much money. And they said, no, they told me that if I bought into their vision of getting up and I took the hit in this season, that they'd look after me. And there's no way they can justify the raise that they offered me as keeping true to their word. And that, that bothered me. Um, and then, like I said, there was a couple of occasions where I was told I could go and then I was, then thought, no, you're not going. And I just I just felt like they were fucking about with me. And, and I didn't feel as if I'd done anything to, de- to deserve that. Um, should I have turned up for pre-season on time? Maybe I should have. Um, looking back, 
maybe I should have. But I was 21. I was a kid. And I had no real guidance. I'd never been in a situation like that. I didn't know what to do. I knew that it, I, I would not have physically been able to survive in London. See, this is, this is the thing as well. So I signed the contract the first year and I got given, um, so I done 200 quid a week and I got given um, eight grand relocation money to go towards me accommodation. Then the next season, they offered me 260 pound a week. That was the raise. But there was no relocation money. <laughs> so it, it technically the money had gone down. I'm like, what the and, and I, I'd got myself into a hole. I, and, I, and you know what? Winning that league, I was thinking, there was a, there was a, from a personal point of view, there was a bit of relief in the sense of thinking, I'm going to get the contract now. And I don't have to worry about myself because I was panicking. Um, I, I could not have physically survived on £260 a week that following season. Uh, it wouldn't have been possible. Fun whether you know, but there was four of us living in one apartment. It was me, Liam Hatch, Damien Bart, and Damon Ming. Ah, yeah. yeah. Damon Ming. We were all living in a, um, a flat on Cranbourne Parade over the road from Fairsfield. And that, and that was because it's all we could afford. <laughs> the four of us had to chip in together. Um from whatever happened, I think Damon Ming left, Hatchie left, um, so we couldn't stay there and I ended up having to rent myself. And, and like my rent, I moved to Waltham Abbey to, to afford something and my rent took up something like, I mean, I was paying about 850 quid a month in rent. So I would only have been on 260 quid a week. So it's like, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was going, I, I want to be put on a grand a week and I'm not signing. It was nothing like that. It was just, I, I wouldn't have physically been, been able to survive on the contract that they'd offered. Um, and the narrative that got portrayed was that I was a money grabber, what more money than, than, than what I, I warranted. But it wasn't the case. Like I said, it was just, it's just a bit of a shit time and, and it, it disappoints me after the season that we'd had that that was what it came to. Um, yeah. But that's football, I suppose. That's what happens. Shouldn't have signed the contract with the option, but <laughs> I trusted the word that they would look after me and then it didn't really come. Yeah, and obviously it's a, it's a shame how it ended and then you went to Rushton who was struggling They've gone down. I think you spent the second season after that with them in the conference. And then looking at your career, you had a short spell at Hereford where you came back and played against Barnet early in the season. We won't talk about the score in that one. I remember that. <laughs> and uh, then a little stint at Ebbsfleet before you've kind of gone back up sort of close to home. Maybe I know you played for Norfolk for a few years, yeah. um, but had a few injuries. Was that ultimately what called you? Because you called time in your career fairly early. Didn't you? Yeah. So so what happened, obviously, uh, I went, went to Rushton. I signed a two and two year and like he was a decent contract. But my dad my dad weren't great at the time. Um I was missing home. So I asked them to to cancel the, the two year option. Um and they said they agreed on the provision that 
I only signed for a northern club. That was the the picture I painted. I wanted to get back up home. And um, I went to Morecambe. I was there pre-season uh, when Sammy Mack was in charge. And there was meant to be a little goalkeeping roundabout. They had Scott Davis there, who was meant to go to Gillingham. Gillingham keeper was going to somewhere else. And I was going in at Morecambe. And um, played a couple of pre-season games. Scott went away to Gilling- uh, to France with Gillingham. And I played on the Saturday pre-season friendly. <laughs> T- turn up on, on the Monday morning and Scott's back in the dressing room getting changed. So Sammy Mack calls me in and listen, Scott deals it it hit the rocks. Um he's he's not going to Gillingham. I spoke to the chairman, he won't give me any more money for another goalkeeper. Gonna see what happens, but I thought I'd give you an heads up just in case you want to look elsewhere. So I'm looking about, went into Berry. This this was hilarious, by the way. Went went to Berry, <laughs> staying there for a couple of weeks. They, only, they had one recognised goalkeeper and then they had a young lad, Cam Belford. And then um, Chris Casper was the manager. So I'd seen for two weeks and that. And um, on the Friday, Chris says, oh, I've got a, got a meeting with with uh, the, ch- the chairman about my budget. So like, hang about, we'll have a chat afterwards. So I'm sitting in the training, uh, sorry, in the the dressing room at the ground <laughs> and it's getting to about six o'clock everyone's come and gone like, I'm the only one left there and next thing this woman comes in and says oh Chris will see you now so I'll go in Chris Gasper and he goes to him Scott um, really sorry mate um, I thought the meeting was about my budget but they've just sacked me <laughs> 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 he said um, Keith's taken over Keith Alexander's taken over in temporary charge um, I'll ask him to get in touch and Keith rang me over the weekend and said um, look I appreciate you being in he said but I've got to steady the ship and at the minute we need goals so any money he's given me I need to get a striker in so alright no worries um, so then I was like shit what do I do season started um, or season's about to start I got a, got a phone call I was it was a Thursday night I was in my local doing our quiz. So I'm half cut and my phone rings with my mates. Go outside. And it was Alan Kimball, who was the assistant manager at Ebsleet at the time. And he said, um, have you got yourself sorted at the club? I said, no. He said, um, you come down and play for us. Season starts on Saturday. And um, Lance has just got injured. I'd been away with Lance with England that summer. So they said to me, um, Lance has got injured. Can you play on Saturday? So I said, yeah, yeah, no worries. This is Thursday night, about eight, nine o'clock. He said, um, right, can you get into training tomorrow? And I said, I'm in Liverpool. He said, um, what time can you get down there for? And I went, I don't know, about 12 o'clock. He went, can you make it 11? So I went into the lads, I've got to get home. So I've got to be in Ebsleet in the morning, 11 o'clock. So I got down there and I got there late. Um, traffic and stuff like that. So they'd finished training, but I went out with the goalie coach and done like an hour and um, signed on. We played, I signed non-contract. Um, I had to get permission off Rushton, 
because obviously I'd agreed with them. I would only sign for Northern Club. So I said, look, it's, it's literally just a stopgap, non-contract. I just need to bring some money in. Um, and so I did that. I think I played about seven or eight games and we've done really well, started the season really well. Um, and then Lance was coming. Oh, and then, uh, finished the game on a Saturday. And I wanted to rush home for my mate's birthdays up in Liverpool. I thought, get home, get out with the lads. And I think I got into my house at half one in the morning because of accidents and stuff like that. And I phoned me and Dacia up and said, I can't do this no more. Like, the traveling's killing me. So he said, um, we was coming up to a double header, like a, a Saturday, Tuesday or something like that, or Saturday, Monday. And he said, well, look, he said, if you play the next two games, he said, I'll pay you for the rest of the month. Um, he said, we'll get Lance back in the pay for the rest of the month. So I said, all right then. So I did the Saturday, Tuesday. Um, then Lance got back and then I, I jacked it in. And they never paid me the extra money. <laughs> I was like, oh, nice one. So so um, I was at home. I was staying with Prescott Cables, believe it or not, just to keep fit. Um, and Dino Marmia went to... So he, was, he was at Northwich and he got the manager's job um, I think Neil Redfern left and, and then Dino got it now me and Dino had, had a really weird relationship because I don't know whether you remember but do you remember the Boxing Day game yeah, yeah. When, when Dwayne Lee got sent off Dino spat at me off the ball and I lost my head and Endo had to like stop me and you might not have even noticed so anyway, it all went off after that game and then the warm-up for the game on New Year's Day then, um, where I'd normally kick from the goal down, I said, no, I want to kick from the other end. So I went up and I'd done my kicking from right in the middle of the Stevenage players to kick back. And when I got close to Dino, I went, I'm going to fucking do you today. <laughs> and um, he went off injured. He, he, did he do his hammy or something like that? He went off early. And then not here, not on, never, never crossed his path in. And then when I'm at Rushton, but Graham Wesley comes in as manager. And I was told, listen, he's, he's not going to have you finding the club. And I was actually speaking to Lewis down in, they were in the conference south at the time, but they were paying really well. And we went on our Christmas due to Brighton. <laughs> I went to meet the Lewis manager in the day. And like he told me what was, what was on offer. I got back after the Christmas due, Graham Wesley's first day. He goes to me, you're my number one. I want you to stay. So I was like, all right, then sound. Then it was muted for a little while that Dino Marmy was coming in and the lads knew what had happened in the past and that. <laughs> and um, we had, like, when he came in, all the lads in my ear, I can't believe you let him get away with that. can't believe it. And um Really competitive, insane, and then obviously Wesley loved Dino. He was like his, he was his boy. I remember we lost the game, and um, he was calling us weak, saying that we were weak, and he was like, "I could put him in that dressing room, lock the door with any one of yous, and guarantee when I open it again, he's the one standing." And all this, and Dino was nuts. He was he was a nutter. Um, but playing with him. What happened in the past when so we had a bit, we had the respect in that then, and um, yeah, he phoned me and said, "Can you come and play?" 
I'll be honest, I didn't even look at where Norfolk were or anything. I didn't know where they were in the league. Turned up to a game on a Tuesday night and it was on that Satanta Sport. Oh, yeah. And we drew nil nil. And that, I didn't realise, it was like November. And that was only the second point. I was thinking, what the fuck have I done here? <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I did two, two months non-contract at Norwich. Signed a deal in the January, which was the rest of the season plus another season. Um, but again, it, 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 it all went to shit. The following January, I um, we, we, we weren't getting paid. And we were sort of like three months behind in wages and there was talk of the club going into administration. Then they brought Steve King in as manager. And then on his first day, there was nine new players, all Southern lads. And we were like, well, who's paying them? Because we're not getting paid. And it turns out they were getting paid and it was just, it's a really horrible position to be in. And um, I played away, against, sorry, a home against Kiston, but it was played at Altrincham because we were locked out of our ground because they hadn't paid the bills. So I remember two of the lads had to break in the morning of the game to get the kit and everything to <laughs> play the game. So we played the game and um, I'd done my knee, I'd done my cruciate in that. And they released me. They, didn't, they wouldn't pay for the operation. So I went on the NHS waiting list for me for the cruciate operation. And then my contract was up within the season. He released me while I was injured. And I waited until the following July to actually get my operation. Um, tried to get back playing, but my rehab, I was going to Little Shore every other week just to try and get rehab on it and stuff like that. And it, it just didn't heal how it should have. And... I did a couple of seasons of Vauxhall Motors part time, but I didn't get, I, I couldn't get my head around the mentality. It was like win or lose, hit the booze. Like the lads didn't really, didn't really care. It was the little top up to their wage, and that just didn't work for me. If I lost, I'm in a mood till at least Monday. Um, so after the second year, the last game of the season in the second season I done there, short back pass, and I came out and made a block tackle and a twin shutting in my knee again. So I've had. Seven operations on my right knee, and truth be told, I need one more. Um, and I just decided I wanted to be able to play football with my kids when they come along, and it just when they weren't worth the aggro. Um, I look back now and I regret that because <sighs> could I have done more? Maybe. But I just felt like I'd, I don't know, I didn't really get the rub of the green in a few in a few situations and it just made me question what my motivation was for it. Like, why am I doing it? Because I sacrificed a lot for football and then I didn't feel like a lot came back. But, you know, the, the, the age old, I could have been a contender in it. But listen, I've got, I've got memories to tell the grandkids and stuff like that and I'm happy, so... I mean, I suppose if the uh, if the football had carried on too much longer, the boxing might not have taken off. Quite as well as it did, so it's, uh... You know what, right? That, 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 that's just it. Like, I'd done that because I missed the competitiveness. Like, I, I, I missed competing for something. And, and like, I looked at it. It came about because someone who was sort of my mate gave me a call out on social media, said he wanted to fight me, and I'd not even seen it. And again, my phone's going off. Oh, have you seen what Tizzles wrote? He wants to fight you in a charity boxing match, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? 
And like, Tizzle, he's a DJ in Liverpool, and one of his best mate was Neil Dans, not the the centre uh, forward played. He's been about a bit, and um, obviously one of my good mates, Wes Morgan. And Danzi and Wes have both been at Leicester together, so they were mates. So there was all this like Wes was going to be in my corner, Danzi was going to be in his, and like so I, I got sucked into it. And um, it was a six-week training camp, and then by the end of the six weeks, so literally the week up coming up to the fight, the owner of the gym said, "I can't put you against Tizzle." He said, "It's not a fair match." He said, "You're way ahead." So. I didn't know who was fighting. And then it wasn't until away in the night before this lad turns up and he's a doorman off the club <laughs> after fights being held in. All right, sound. But I stopped him in the second round when all his mates were around the ring. So that was that was fun. Then I was meant to fight in Malta and I did my full training camp, put a video out from my last session. And then the guy pulled out on the, the next morning. And then I had, a, um, I had an amateur fight two months later. And I won that on points, but it was easy. I could have two two fights and they hadn't really landed a glove on me. And I was like, I'm working hard. I want a proper fight. And I just thought, you know what? A lot of, lot of aggro to not actually... Same as in football, when you're training all week and then you don't get to play at the end of it, it's frustrating. You're thinking, what am I doing it for? And what I enjoyed it, it was the competitive side of all. Team sport, maybe my my views didn't fit everyone else's, or boxing, it's up to me what I want to do. So <laughs> I had to go on. It was like I said, it was just that competing side of it again. It was, I enjoyed it. Um, the first fight in particular, helped me a lot because at the time I was losing my granddad um, he was, he'd been ill for a while and I think that kept me sane, going to the gym all the time and it, he, he passed away a week before the fight um, so it was yeah, like I said, I think that made me realise that I let, I give up on the competition and the that side of things a little bit early, but but I had I had bad injuries to my to my right knee. It wasn't it wasn't good. It was that was what triggered my my my, my decision. But yeah, so I look back now and I, if I could have done things differently, like certain situations hadn't have went the way they they were, then I might have played a bit longer. But like I said, I've got. Got some good stories to tell tell the grandkids when I'm when I'm older. Um, one thing I do regret is my little man's came along a little bit too late to see me play. That would have been nice. But um, but yeah, but most of the good stories I've got are from my time at Barney. Um, and then, like I said, <laughs> going back to Paul, but it didn't pick me once for England C when I was at Barnet, and then as soon as I leave Barney, but he picks me. Like, what? What's going on? You hated me for two years, and now now you're picking me to play. But um, so yeah, I managed to do that. Played at Old Trafford, won the conference. Yeah, I can't, I can't, I can't be too down after the ball. How things worked out. Well, clear, clearly nowadays you've sort of turned your hand to a a different uh, <laughs> industry altogether. So how how did the uh, whole tattoo business come about, and 
And where does Wes Morgan fit into all of this? Well, Wes, right, well, starters, when I dropped out of football, I was I was thinking, what what do I do now? Football at all, was all I'd ever known. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time, I wasted a lot of time thinking what to do next. Um, and then I narrowed it down. I thought, I like tattoos and what, what bit of money I had, I knew a guy who was a tattooist and he wasn't enjoying where he was. And I approached him and said, look, if I set the studio up, I'll fund it and give you half the business and we'll run it together. So to speak, you bring the expertise, teach me it, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he said, yes, yeah. so we did that. Um, and he did a runner after about 10 months, dollar money. And some of the stuff he did, like, you need a whole new podcast just to go through it. Um, so I had the choice of basically losing everything or trying to do it myself. And I kept it going myself. And then another maybe year, year and a half later, me and Wes are speaking and Wes like, oh, wouldn't mind getting involved with that. So he said, I'd get involved on, on the other side. I'd just started fitting out my second studio. And um, he said, look, I'll get involved on the understanding that. Um, we do one in Leicester as well. He was playing at Leicester at the time. And I said, yeah, not a problem. Now, we both thought he would run the Leicester one, I'd run the Liverpool ones and stuff like that. But then Leicester got promoted. Um, obviously, he was club captain. I think like he underestimated how much his life would change at that point. Um, his commitments to being the club captain of a Premier League team. Um, he couldn't. He couldn't run the studio. So I was able to travel there twice a week, which was a killer on me. Um, then Leicester won the league, and it just went nuts. And I mean, that was like. To see him do that was amazing. Like, even to the point where when they played at Anfield, I, I wanted them to win. Like, and I'm a Liverpool fan. Like, but I, like, if Liverpool, I'm, well, I want, Le- want West to win the league. <laughs> and um, I went to a few of his games. I went to Old Trafford when he scored, um, which ultimately proved to be the goal that won them the league because Tottenham drawed and the next day or something was yeah. what won it. But that the, the weird thing was that was on the Saturday that game, the Friday night he was at my boxing fight. So that was my first fight, and he was at the fight. And um, so, and then on the Saturday I went with my brother-in-law, and I was sitting literally four seats from the Stafford end. So I, I was like that all all game couldn't couldn't <laughs> or not. Um, and went to the Everton game at home when he lifted the trophy as well and like I said that the city just went nuts and for like a f- four month period the studio just was so busy it was like Leicester Badgers Champions Foxes anything you could think of to do with Leicester everyone was getting an option because Wes was to do with the studio and yeah. everyone came to us and then to be honest one our main our main artist who he took from nowhere, he he did the dirty on us a little bit and used our profile to raise his profile and then went looking for the better deal and it um got to the point where 
I couldn't handle it, it all on my own and Wes didn't have the time because his football was his priority and we just kind of wound it down from there. I wish I could have done more to keep it going, but it just, it, it, it's, it was only 100 mile, but when you're having to do it twice a week, it was it was a slog like. Um, so, so yeah, we wound it down a bit and I mean, good deal. Wes is now Premier League winning captain, so... It's it's unbelievable. He signed the forest the same time as me, so that was like half our life ago. But to see what he's achieved since it's just and to be to be close to him when that was happening that season was like he it hit him afterwards, like the following like few weeks after they'd won it, he came to the studio and we went to him he went to ask, go get drink. Should we go and get a drink from the shop? And I went, Do you want me to go? I said, You're just gonna get hassle. Went, no, no, I'll go. And literally the shop's two minute walk and it must have took us an hour. <laughs> We're just stopping him and getting photos with him. And I was like, Where's your life changed forever? Like this is like it's not the same, you're not just where's you can go out now. Like like everyone is gonna know you. Like that pitch is iconic. And um so yeah, the tattoo studio kind of just got left there. Still got my my one in the city centre in Liverpool. Um, that one's still going. Well, it's not going anywhere at the minute, but um, it's going to be a while on that. But but yeah, that one's still going. Um, I've dabbled in other other stuff. I've got uh, a beauty business with my missus. You couldn't tell, like, but <laughs> yeah, a beauty business with my missus, and and yeah, I'm I'm like I'm I'm a, a Away from football, I'm a designer and product development and stuff like that. That's what I do. So, got my fingers in a few different pies at the moment, and just going to see see what happens over the next twelve months and which ones we're going to really push on with. Got a, got engaged on Sunday to my missus, so that was really a bit of a mad day. Um, yeah, and we've got I got my little boy Jackson. So, so yeah, it's. Like, like I, I can't grumble if um if they carried on with football I might not I might not have them so yeah it's, listen it's all part in it yeah so look Scott we're really pleased to hear you're doing well with everything now um and we'd like you know thanks for your time at Barnet thanks for your honesty in the podcast today and we wish you every success for the future thanks for having me on it's it's been enjoyable looking back. I'm sure most people would say I was mad.